Welcome to Beer and a Movie, the podcast where we combine two of the greatest art forms known to humanity, beer and movies, sometimes achieving outstanding pairings, and other times giving ourselves the opportunity to wash the terrible taste of failure from our mouths. I'm one of your hosts. My name is Dave Gurney. I'm here with... Joe Hilliard. And returning... We have a guest that we love to have on the program. One of my favorites, David. Yeah, well, one of the fan favorites, too. I think, you know, his episodes are some of the most buzzed about episodes we've ever recorded. None other than Dr. Anthony Zuccalillo. Thank you very much, gentlemen, and wonderful intro. Hey, wow. thanks. I feel special. Thank you. <laughs> you put, are special. Put it on your resume. Yes. <laughs> put it, on that, your it actually is. Put it <laughs> on your LinkedIn. Oh, wonderful. Me- media appearances. <laughs> wonderful. Very nice. Well, it is beer in a movie. It starts with beer, then we're going to move to movies. So why don't we get into some beers, guys? Got to do it. Uh, a cousin of the family lives up in the Austin area, came to visit, and mulled down two from a brewery, David, we've never had before, which is always an exciting time here on the show. This is Family Business Beer Company. It says Austin. They're really out of like the Dripping Springs area. Oh, yeah. Uh, from what I understand, a very popular brewery up there, but one that I've never had before. So we're going to have two of theirs tonight. This is the first one. This is their Cabo Sabro Tropical, they call it, IPA. A tropical hop storm in your mouth. Ooh. <laughs> featuring, lo- <laughs> featuring laurel, brew one, and sabro hops for big juicy notes of pineapple, coconut, and stone fruit. This is a 7% ABV beer. Ooh-wee. And there is one for each of us and three back in my refrigerator at home. Well, thank you, Joe. And, th- and thank you, cousin Judy. of the family. Cousin yeah. Judy. Judy, yes. thank you. Um, you know, I, if, if you guys don't mind, I want to just do a little framework of the episode because we're doing something new today. In the second half of the episode, uh, what we'll typically do is a new release in the first half, and then we'll pair it with a film in the second half that that, that relates somehow. Maybe uh, the actor or the director is the same, or maybe it's thematically uh, similar. But for the next six weeks after tonight, we're going to be doing the seven films from the sight and sound top 10 list that we have not done on the show before yeah so coming soon but in no order we haven't ordered them out yet is uh gene dillman tokyo story Bo travail singing in the rain mulholland drive and man with a movie camera uh tonight we'll be doing uh in the mood for love so Nothing but highbrow cinema here at Beer in a Movie, as per the huge. And tell us about uh, <laughs> Cocaine Bear, David. <laughs> yes, right. No. So, so that was the bit, Anthony. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> nice. if, if you're, uh, you know, if if you're not already hip to this, uh, obviously we are going to try to get through those sight and sound films, the remaining uh, entries on the top ten, uh, as as Joe pointed out, that we have not already covered. Um, Tough to pair them with films as they're coming out here. Uh, but nonetheless, this was a film that we felt like we, we needed to cover. It's an important film, right? I'm looking forward to it. Um, so, yeah, Cocaine Bear, folks. Uh, the, when the trailer for this dropped back in the fall, uh, I think uh, th- there was a lot of, uh, you know, uh, hubbub online, let's oh, say. Yeah. People uh, got it, excited. Lo- lots of people. Because it's pretty wild concept, right? And, and it's based in a true story, you know, in in quotation marks. There was indeed in the mid-1980s a botched drug-running scheme where somebody had to uh, jump from their airplane um, but was not, uh, I think the parachute was actually malfunctioning. Something like that. The film doesn't depict it that way, but that, the anyway, um, fell to his death, but, you know, much cocaine uh, fell to the forest floor as well. This was in rural Kentucky, right? Wait, no. 
Oh, jeez. Don't make me do it. Yeah, I, anyway. Um, but any Georgia? <laughs> uh, Tennessee, actually, is Thank where you. the film is set. So uh, anyhow, that really happened. And really, I think it was like three months later, a bear was found dead. And when they did the autopsy, they saw that it had ingested like hundreds of, you know, I don't know, kilos of cocaine. A it was lot a of ridiculous cocaine. amount of the cocaine it had eaten. Now, I did read up on this. About only three grams probably entered the bloodstream. Like it just kind of died pretty quickly before it could really take effect. And there's no evidence that it actually went berserk and attacked people. But this film sort of imagines a scenario where, yes, that botched drug run happened. Yeah. A bear does get its hands on the co or mouth on the cocaine and um, does start terrorizing people throughout the forest. Now, not exactly just willy-nilly, though. Um, it, it, it's people who sort of get into its territory and, and people who are doing certain things. Um, we have several sets of characters that come into contact with the bear. We, of course, have the people who were supposed to be the recipients of these drugs who are trying to track them down or at least... Uh, you know, emissaries of them. We have a couple young children who have skipped school and have decided to go to the uh, state park to be able to paint a waterfall. Um, so we have like a 13-year-old girl and her best friend going off into the woods. We have the mother of the girl who discovers that her daughter has left uh, and not gone to school that day and is, and is trying to track her down. We have a park ranger. We have a, a an ecologist or so, what, what was he? A game warden? No, he was... A wildlife like, specialist. Wildlife yeah, he specialist. was like, you know, yeah. inspect. Do a count of yeah. wildlife or something. So, anyway, so we have various figures who are going into the forest for a variety of reasons, some to do with the cocaine, some not. Uh, that come into the path of this bear and, and a cop who's trying to track them down uh, and experience what a bear on cocaine is like. And as you can imagine, um, that, that's a pretty horrific experience. So it, it does have elements of horror, but it's also very much steeped in comedy. I mean, I would call this a horror comedy. Sure, along the lines of snakes on a plane, along the lines of yeah, it's farcical almost surreal violence around a fictionalized notion of a, a bear doing cocaine. There you go. Um, directed by Elizabeth Banks, yeah. worthy uh, of mentioning here, who has you know come out of being primarily an on-screen figure into being a pretty capable uh, person behind the camera, uh, doing the Pitch Perfect films and, and some others uh, along the way. I'm trying to remember. I know there was... but. Um, we, we also have Phil Lord and Christopher Miller who are producing this. These are the guys behind the Lego movie and, and many others and had sort of successful success as directors and producers. Um, and, and a pretty solid cast, at least in terms of names. No, no like sort of marquee talent necessarily, but people who you will recognize, Carrie Russell, O'Shea Jackson Jr., um, Alden Ehrenreich. Who, who's probably the closest to marquee name, but hasn't quite yeah. had that yeah. moment. Yeah, I mean, that's, I was, I'm a solo fan. I, I did like that okay. film. You can listen back, episode, <laughs> what, that was probably in the teens or something. Right. We, we did that one pretty early on. Um, and uh, Isaiah Whitlock Jr., who just loves seeing that guy show up. Though, I, I got to 
spoiler, how did we not get a she? How how did we not get even one? Waited the whole movie for it. I know. I was so waiting. Like him trapped on the top of that gazebo, I thought for sure. Okay. We're, we're kind of getting into the, uh, the details here. Um, I mean, this is a, from the trailer, you know, right from the outset, even when I heard the name of this film and that it was being made, you, you got to know that this is going to be a goofy, silly, over-the-top kind of experience. Yeah. So I will just say baseline, if you're not in the mood for something over-the-top and silly and zany, just skip it. It's 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 not worth your time. Uh, on the flip side of that, I'm going to come right out and say, if you are in the mood for it, heck yeah, get to the theater, get your popcorn, yeah. your soft drinks, maybe even a beer if you're at the Alamo. I also imagine that the enjoyment of the film is going to be in proportion to the size of the crowd in the theater. I think it helps. Because if you're there, and I was with the right kind of crowd, there was plenty of applause and plenty of... Oh, is that right? I, I thought you were going to tell me... Plenty of hollering. You, you went... Earlier today, which I went was a during Monday. the day, but it was it was at least half full, three quarters full, wow. and people were into the movie. That's awesome because they knew exactly as you say, David, exactly what to expect. Yeah, uh, I think that the expectations of the film are going to be largely based on the trailer. And you know, if you can get behind the idea of exactly what you're going to do, is this going to be as good as, or better than, or worse than the trailer itself? And to me, it's kind of somewhere in the middle. There was a lot of fun in this movie. A lot of fun yeah. in this movie. From the gory set pieces to the um, jokes, which I will say not all of them landed for me, but some of them landed pretty good, mm -hmm. to the idea that two kids, right, playing hooky from school, they find a brick of cocaine in a plastic baggie, a plastic kind of brick, right? <laughs> Open it up and eat it. <laughs> <laughs> and you don't see like uh, since Goonies, you know, like not not drug use, but like irreverent kids being irreverent the yeah. way that kids are when their parents aren't around. Right. I love that was my favorite part of the movie with those two kids interacting with each other. Yeah, I think you. As far as character work, I, I'm I'm with you there. I think uh, Dee Dee is the young girl character, and that's Brooklyn Prince is the uh, the performer's name. And the the friend Henry uh, Christian Con Convery, he, I think they were really well cast. I mean, they're both really game for this whole thing. And I agree, Joe. Like that that them stumbling upon it, Henry kind of posturing and like, oh yeah, I do cocaine after church with. <laughs> 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 you know, right, try, here, here's the cocaine. Do some. Yeah. How do you do it? Well, you just, you know, you eat like a tablespoon of it. <laughs> that literally was the only time I laughed. Oh, no. Yeah. I, and I had no expectations of this film, but mm. I really did think that the best parts were in the trailer. Yeah. Um, it didn't add anything to me. It was one note, one joke for 90 minutes. Um, I was in about a half full theater as well. Mm -hmm. um, nobody else had a real strong reaction to it. Okay. So if there were going to be some infectious laughter, I did not, I was not part of that. Oh boy. Um, it was pretty silent. I'm not a horror guy. Okay. Okay. And I'm not a gore guy. And I found both of those to be disappointing. Like I, there was nothing that you was, do it, do it. Yeah. There was nothing horrific and aside from maybe, you know, spoiler alert, 
bear cubs on cocaine eating the entrails of Ray Liotta. Yeah, the, the, <laughs> I was I was just going to say, well, you know, you, you do get to see the intestines getting pulled out of uh yeah. Yeah. Other than that, that was, right? That's that was that final scene the waterfalls, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Other than that, I mean, you know, I, I in reading about this, like everybody was like, "Oh my god, he rips off a foot and does a line of cocaine off of the off of the boot." Or and I'm like, "What?" I'm like, there's nothing about that I thought was clever. Yeah. Um, And I found most of the the gory set pieces to be kind of tame. Yeah. Um, I I thought, you know, the premise was funny and I certainly had no expectations of it, but I really expected to be grossed out a little bit more Uh uh, or Uh at least uncomfortable. Yeah. You know, maybe like a little jump scare, nothing. And I really did expect it to be funnier. These are, I, I think these are valid complaints that you have here. Um, you, you know, I guess, how, how do I, I think you're right. This is not the goriest of horror. It, it isn't. This is like more on the level of like Megan, right? In terms of what you're seeing in, in terms I'd of. I'd say the, it's a step above Megan because I don't, did we see blood in Megan at all? You know, there's. Yeah, there's a little some bit, but not. Compound fracturing. Yeah. There's some, uh, a woman getting dragged on a road and you get to That's see. That's true. Face yeah. Ma- Margot Martin. Yeah. Right. Tell me the that name was... of the gentleman from Modern Family. Jesse Tyler Ferguson. You get to see him, but I would like to have seen more of the imbal. He's hanging upside down from a tree and the bear's doing some stuff from at his feet and blood's beginning to rush down his clothing. I would like to have seen maybe what was going on up above, but I thought that was fairly gory. Yeah. But, but otherwise, Anthony, I don't disagree. I, I did, you know, now that you bring it up, Joe, though, the, I think the ambulance set piece was was pretty darn good. Yeah, and and it that. got pretty graphic there, like with the snapped, you know, uh, our hand, right, I guess, right. it's kind of gets snapped back. And then her falling out and eventually kind of skidding along the roadway right. on her face. Um and it is just like you know, one of the. It's like action. It's it's thrilling. It's it's got the 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 tempo of it. Um, but I think you know a lot of it is about do you do you find it funny that these people are just stumbling into this unimaginable kind of scenario and trying to wrap their heads around what's going on? This bear likes cocaine and it has access to tons of cocaine. <laughs> and, and you know if. I found that ridiculous and, and absurd enough that I was laughing sure. whenever anybody was coming upon that. Like when Isaiah, uh, you know, um, Whitlock, Bob is the detective's name, when he's like kind of coming to understand it. But he's but then he just like quickly kind of takes it in. And he's like, matter of fact, yeah, the bear likes cocaine. <laughs> there, I don't know. There was something just kind of joyful about that. I like the the standoff between them with him on the gazebo and and uh Jackson and Aaron Reich on the ground with the who was the guy uh Stash. I don't I don't think I had ever seen him in anything. Oh, one of the teenagers. Yeah. I lo- I love the fight in the bathroom. I did too. I thought that was a lot of fun. I did too. Um because uh, you, you I have like the these... idea of three teens terrorizing a national park as if that's some kind of big money payoff for right, that. Right. Like a crime spree there. But of course the situation where they run into the wrong guy in the bathroom who can right. easily kick their ass. I right. thought I thought that was good. I didn't the movie really kind of falls apart for me in the third act when it all comes together in the set piece at the bear cave underneath the waterfalls. The bear cubs, we learn, have been just rollicking around in, in duffel bags filled well, with Well, Mama cocaine. Bear, who, the cocaine bear, Mama has been bear bringing comes back, but we're supposed <laughs> to hauls back to the, ca- the love, cave. Love, care about 
the emotional stakes of the characters that has been built up to this point. The idea that one of them has been grieving over a dead wife and has abandoned his children and now his father's back and he's got his own daddy issues. The idea that um, uh, the, the daughter is tearfully apologizing for going on this adventure at all. None of that. It, it, it was a human element that they bring in and I understand why they do. None of it landed for me. Um, she she's a nurse so she can come and, and help you yeah. know, save the guy how none, convenient none of that landed for me uh i i did though like a tittering giggling for 90 minutes i mean yeah i, I enjoyed it enough to say that if you like this trailer and are curious about what you're gonna see go ahead and do it yeah and make sure that you're in an evening screening to get full on a weekend to get a full crowd that can maybe really boost the experience it it was a tight 90. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well paced. Um, I thought it was a little slow at first. Like it was, I thought it overset up the story of why everybody was going to the park, especially since you don't really end up caring a whole lot about most of these characters. Yeah. The kids. Yes. I, I was going to say, I, I, the, I would, I would take issue because I, as I said, I do think the kids, especially with the performers there, I think it worked pretty well. And they're kind of the, I feel like they're the center of the story, at least in terms of this mm-hmm. people uncovering this thing that's going on in this forest. Um, but I hear you, and I and I hear what you're saying too. Yeah, the um, it made thirty million dollars. Did you see that? Oh yeah, y- yeah. It blew by its like projections. Uh, yeah. I, I don't. I don't. I'm not surprised. I. I, I well, I mean, I was. I was a little surprised. I'm not in the sense that we're at a real kind of. I mean, the the big competition, the one that was number one at the box office, is Ant Man and the Wasp, right? The colon Quantum Mania, whatever, right? Um, which I actually did go to see this weekend, and and I we're not reviewing that. I want to hear about that in after hours. Yeah, I'll, I'll talk some in after hours. Review. <laughs> but but to give you the the short version of it is. I understand completely why people would look for anything else that might be entertaining to go to at the theater. And you have that and you have Jesus Revolution, oh, which that has its niche audience, <laughs> right? If, grammar's if, back, folks. If, if you're into that, yeah, right. And you'll get to see him in Boston soon as Frazier again. So mm-hmm. isn't that exciting, right? I wonder if he's going to bring that Christian... Uh, Warmth with him I to the Frasier character. No, that was just a okay. He's he. It's like being gay for pay if you're a, <laughs> a Christian pastor for pay. For pay. Um, the, it's I don't know. So yeah. So I get why people are going, but yeah. I hear I hear what you're saying. I, Actually, David, I think those are very dissimilar. Mm. You think they're dissimilar? The gay and the Christian. Go ahead. Mm. I mean, <laughs> being being something on screen that you're not willing to be in your personal life or whatever is all I'm saying. Yeah, I'm with you. Um, yeah, Ant Man had like a like legendary record breaking fall off for a Marvel mm-hmm. film from week one to week two. Yeah. So Cocaine Bear actually kind of stumbled into a good weekend. No, I think Cocaine Bear was just Twitter famous. I think people were eager to see if yeah. it was going to deliver, as I say, exactly what the trailer right. gave you. Right. Um, and, and you know, again, we we're now we're going to start him and Hall. I I don't I don't want to skip over a couple things. I just wanted. I think the score in this was was better than it probably even needed to be. I like some um, 80s jams that I heard. It, well, there there's there's clearly the music of the era that they're bringing in there, but even the score by Mark Mothersbaugh mm-hmm. um has some of that like it, it was reminiscent of Miami Vice. Like he yeah, he was definitely too. kind of playing around with that idea of like what did cocaine sound like in the 80s? <laughs> 
and and it was all about synths and it was all about and so I I felt like that being kind of sprinkled throughout kind of kept this little like thematic mo- motif kind of reminding me what what the sort of underpinnings of, this is like the coked 80s right even though the setting doesn't really you know this isn't Miami we aren't on like cigarette boats out in the bay like this is a rural forest in Tennessee sure. that that we're hanging out in um so I like that uh, quite a bit. And I thought, you know, Anthony already said it. I think this is as much as they, I think, are perhaps a little guilty of overloading the characters here. I think they probably could have cut out one or two of the subplot kind of details in there. Um, and I don't know which one I would have given because I did like the Margot Martindale Park Ranger um, trying to... Seduce, seemingly yeah. seduce the Jesse Tyler Ferguson, <laughs> uh, you know, wildlife specialist uh, character. I mean, but when the more attractive young lady, Carrie Russell, comes along, how many times can you say, I knew she shouldn't have come with us? I knew she, I mean, I, IMDb, Wikipedia, they're all going to call this a horror, Rotten Tomatoes, a horror comedy. Yeah. If the comedy's not landing for me, yeah. And the horror is underwhelming, mm-hmm. then I won't have a lot to say about yeah. it. Yeah. That's where that's exactly where I am. Is I just I didn't find it funny, and I, I the horror was fine, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't anything special. And it so, wasn't pushing in the R rating. Yeah, so, you know, I wasn't mad. I went. I wasn't looking at the time. It wasn't an unpleasant yeah. experience, but you know, I, I guess maybe I was guilty of buying into the Twitter hype. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, and you know, unfortunately, I, I felt like many of the you know, you, you understand the movie from the trailer. So you're really yeah. just kind of seeing more than that. I, I have I have a question for you guys because I respect yeah. your opinion so much. I When I left uh, the theater, I wanted to read the reviews. Okay. And uh, at the time, it was like 60% uh, on the critics and like 90% on the people, Audience, which yeah. didn't shock me. Right. However, I saw on both the critic and the audience side they several individuals use the term cult classic. Hmm. How do you guys feel about is it, something well, calling the, itself or people calling its first some, weekend of release? Yeah, you know it's inappropriate. I don't know. I mean, I I think it's uh, I inappropriate. I <laughs> I think it's I think it's tough to make that call early on, especially when. I mean, this one just seems to be legitimately popular yeah. in, a, in a way that uh, would maybe not put it in the cult category for me. Um, but but in the sense that I, I feel like the term cult classic has been stretched to the point where it's like any film that develops kind of a fervent fan base that over the years will continue to want to return to it gets called that but I don't think it's appropriate yeah. I think it's much better with you know like a film like an Eraserhead or a Rocky Horror you know like the Midnight Movie kind of that has a very fervent but small audience that just keeps going back to it over and over again and sort of wanting to see it anytime it gets screened I think that's the more appropriate yeah. way to use cult classic I think they're jumping the gun on it now I could see this being a film that for many years will be one that people, as they kind of age into the, you know, like getting to see R-rated movies or whatever, 
And they decide, hey, we should watch Cocaine Bear. You know, I could see this being a sleepover film. I could see this being like maybe even just like a a college uh, dorm party. I can see that. You know, hey, before we go out tonight, let's put on Cocaine Cocaine Bear Bear. and we'll get all, you know, and who knows what they're using. (laughs) (laughs) I certainly didn't ingest any while I was watching it, but I could imagine people might get into that. Well, so is it a BAM party movie? (sighs) Yeah. I mean, I uh, not, not, you, not the best one that I can you say think of. yes. I don't know that it. I don't know that it would function because a party of, movie, of course, a movie that it's playing with no volume at a party where people might congregate around the screen. Yes, here comes. Well, the that's part what where I. The, but well, that's it. But that's what I say. Like those films need to have like these kind of visually strange or sort of like. Once you understand the concept of this film, nothing that the film does is all that unusual or like once you buy into the concept. So I feel like you'd put it on and within five minutes, everybody knows, Okay, so the bear does the cocaine and now it's killing people. Okay, so we'll another kill. Kill. Okay, turn up the volume. I want to hear what the what is the girl. Is she acting? Is that good? You know what I mean? Like, I don't think it would be a party film. The what was the the we've. Coined the term party movie during the Wakaliwood movie. What was it called? Oh, Remember the God. name of it? Like, you're, you're asking go me. Go into the yeah. name. <laughs> I, I, I just get, want to say that the name of yeah. that movie again because it was just so damn good. And, yeah. Uh, I need to have another party so that I can put it on in the background. And that one definitely, definitely qualifies. What? Yeah. Gosh. What I just you? thought as I was watching it, there was so many images that taken out of context would have been like what the hell was that moment that i kind of was like would this be uh would this be a bam party movie um, because <laughs> i don't know there it, certainly would be a number of different we things may have that, to try it because I, i'm taking issue <laughs> joe is saying yes i'm saying no we may just have to put it on at a party sometime <laughs> and see how well it works um because i think if it had a little bit more of the over-the-top gore that you're talking about not being there, Anthony, right. I think maybe it would stand to do Like, I think there's a few moments where, again, the face dragging along uh, as she's kind of skidding on the road. But it, there's, like, a few moments that you could point to where... But I, but that doesn't a uh, party film make, I don't <laughs> think. I don't think there's quite enough there to have it hold, hold party together. Feel, party movies are a lot, like, like, a lot like pornography, you know it when you we see it. We don't know it. how to define it exactly. Yeah. You know it when you see it. Got it, it wasn't, was it Crazy World? I don't know. It's Who Killed yes. Captain, was it Crazy World? Crazy World. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, and Who Killed Captain Alex was one of the early ones that I had seen before that. But anyway, that yeah, th- those are definitely, the, and, but part of that is like, you know, again, the, I'm going to say cheesy special effects of it. Like it's uh, glaringly obvious every time you see it. Like this is actually, the effects are really good. I mean, they paid for the most part, millions yeah. of dollars. <laughs> for that bear. I mean, th- from what I heard, the budget of this film, I think was a little over 30 million. And I think like half or more yeah. went to. Because there were no live bears on set. Right. Right. So these are CGI bears, but they're very convincing. Yeah. There wasn't a single time in the film where I was like, oh, come on guys. That looks so fake. Um, so th- this is a well-made version of the horror comedy yeah. with all the money you'd need to make that happen. I'm going to move us along. Okay. Is this a well-made tropical IPA <laughs> from Family Business gifted to us? Mule <sighs> down from uh, Dripping Springs. Uh, I, I'm hearing a, a sigh. I hope it's not an exasperation. It's a- well, it's only because when I first encounter a brewery, I want to 
be as open to it as this isn't bad. This is this is not a bad beer by any stretch. This is very drinkable. I'm throwing it back. I'm enjoying it. However, when you call yourself a tropical IPA and I, they don't say hazy and it's not I mean it is a little opaque. I wouldn't say it's like a full on hazy. Yeah. It doesn't have the body that I want it to have nor the citrusy tropical notes in the hot profile that I truly wanted to have. It's it's very good, not bitter. So they, they definitely haven't gone that route with the hops. It's, it's more not, of a pale ale to me. Yeah, but it's 7.2. Yeah, understood. Yeah. But like the IPA tendencies, characteristics that we're looking for that I'm expecting to see, I'm not getting. Uh, but, I get, but all of that said, David, you're absolutely right. There's nothing wrong with this beer. I mean, yeah. I'm going to enjoy it. I mean, one. it is very good. Like, if you didn't call this, it, I mean, they're calling it Cabo Sabro Tropical IPA. If you just called it, I don't know, you know, Cabo Sabro Everyday IPA, or I don't know, something <laughs> like, I would probably be like, yeah, this is a nice drinkable IPA. But I think when you put tropical out there, you say that you're hitting those notes, and then you pour it in the glass, and the nose on it was promising enough. I, I, it didn't make me think, oh, there's no flavor here. I, I was smelling a little bit of citrusy in it, but then I, I sipped it, and I just didn't. I don't know, Anthony, are you? Well, so you guys will be happy to know, um, and you guys know my my beer tastes are rather limited. Mm-hmm. Um, but they've opened up. They have opened up. Um but you guys have taught me quite a bit about beer, and I could have predicted what you both said <laughs> were going to say about this. And I really liked it, and I, I liked it for the reasons you guys don't. I don't usually like the over-the-top hoppiness, and mm-hmm. so what the IPA that is what I come to expect. Yeah, this isn't that. No, um, I don't know enough about it to say it tastes more like this type than that type. Yeah. Um, But the juiciness, you know, the last time I was here, there was something juicy that I liked, um, some juice bomb thing or whatever. So I do like that taste. Mm -hmm. And because the bitterness isn't there and I enjoyed this, I would would get into trouble if I had a six pack of this in my fridge. This is good. It's very easy to drink. I I mean, again, if you you had an unlabeled can and you handed this to me at a party, I would not guess 7.2%. I wouldn't. Th- even guess IPA, I might I might say pale ale yeah. like you are, Joe, but I easily drink it and then grab another one and drink. You know, it, so it's it's a tasty. No, beer. you wouldn't because you'd glance over at the TV. Cocaine bear would be on, <laughs> and you'd throw your beer on the ground and leave. Okay, now you you right. you've hit it the nail just right on the head. There. Okay, yeah. the silly movie is out of the way, right? It, I think so. According <laughs> to Sight and Sound, the number five movie of all time. We're about to discuss it, and I cannot wait. We got to switch gears, folks, after the break. Bringing more gravitas to this second half, as Joe is as sort of set up uh, as we went into the break, that you know we're, we're really switching gears here, folks. I don't know that we've ever made this radical, radical a shift between go. the first film and the second film on an episode, but I kind of like that. That's it's going to be fun doing these sight and sound films, and we may may give us an opportunity to do some uh, interesting pairings, maybe do something else. Uh, that that folks wouldn't expect us to but but nonetheless we wanted to do cocaine bear we did it 
Um, we're paying the price now as we move into the second half, and we are getting ready to talk about the much more critically praised, even even though Cocaine Bear is getting some love, um, in the mood for love. But before we do that, we need beer in our glass. And Joe's cousin has brought us a second beer from Family Business Beer Company, and we're hoping that this is going to be the one that tells us, oh, yeah, this is this is this is the one that tells us that now this we're brewery talking. is fantastic. We're putting a lot of weight on this, folks. Um, this is called the Grackle. I love the name. I do too. I do too. As a Texan, uh, you you have to respect the Grackle because <laughs> man, if you don't, there are so many of them. Like I really feel like maybe we should have done this on you know the birds the episode. Birds. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, they because they, they are scary birds. Uh, but th- but this is a hill country imperial stout. I've never seen a beer described as a hill country imperial stout, but I love that they're calling it that. It on the can it says rich, robust, pitch black, and ominous. Uh, um, I don't think that fits in the mood for love, but the 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 weightier beer maybe does. The beer indeed is pitch black. This yeah, is like I poured a Guinness at the Nitro Farm. Yeah, so I'm excited. It's it. They're calling it an imperial, which I think it qualifies, but it's 8.6. So nice. I, I would say it's it's like in the more sort of uh, modest range of the imperial stout because we get a lot that are going over 10 percent these days. So this is, you know, I think we'll do okay. We won't go too far off the rails. We better not because this is a pretty serious <laughs> film to be talking about. I have never seen Wong Kar Wong Kar Wise in the mood for love. And I'm looking forward to filling in a few holes with this Sight and Sound series that we're doing. Uh, The film opens up with a title card. It is a restless moment. She has kept her head lowered to give him a chance to come closer, but he could not for lack of courage. She turns and walks away. Um, It is 1962, British Hong Kong. Uh, two Shanghai expatriates, or two families rather, Mr. and Mrs. Chow, Mr. and Mrs. Chan, go to an apartment building to try to rent an apartment at the exact same time. They end up renting side-by-side apartments, um, adjacent apartments. The, the stars of the film are Mr. Chow and Mrs. Chan. It's a film about their loneliness because their spouses are away all of the time. They travel for work, they work late, etc. And what they eventually learn, and they, they the, the two that are there in the apartment, after keeping normal work hours, exchange pleasantries often. But then it turns out that they learn that their spouses are having an affair with one another. So um, they then enter into a relationship of trying to keep company with somebody but also they begin role-playing what it must have been like for their spouses to meet, get into this kind of affair, and then eventually, I guess we're to a, led to believe, fall in love with one another. Yeah. And I'll start our conversation off, that's about as much as I'm going to say at the top, but I'll start the conversation off by about six, seven minutes in. Aislin and I watched this together. I just exclaimed with much joy, Damn, this is the, one of the most beautiful movies I have ever seen. <laughs> 1962, Asian cast. The women are wearing, I don't know the names of these fashions, but they're wearing these dresses that are like, like pencil-thin dresses with high collars and short sleeves. And that high collar accentuates just these beautiful faces, and then their hair is all done up, but the color palette is just spectacular. 
Yeah. And I'll start it with, if anything, this is one of those beautifully shot films I have seen in such a long time. I think there are different names for those dresses, but Chung Sams. That's what I thought I it was, David. Are the, are the but one, is, is the term that I saw as I was I, sort of... I didn't yeah. want to get it wrong. I didn't yeah, want to embarrass yeah, yeah. myself. Because... They are gorgeous. It, the, the, the fashion on display in this film, especially, um, you know, uh, associated with the Sue character, who, who mm-hmm. is, uh, you know, the um, Chan's wife, right, um, is, you know, just yeah, stunning. Gorgeous. gorgeous. I, th- this is a film um, I was lucky enough to go see in the theater when it came out um, in, here in the States in 2001. This was like right after I, you know, I had just become, I think, the more seasoned or that way, the, the, the more cinephilic person that I, that I am now where S- syphilitic, cinephilic, you might prefer cineista. I think you go with that. What I, I cinephile cinephilic, um, but you know, in college got exposed to a lot more, a, a wider range of films, loved, you know, movies as a teenager and, and all that, but, you know, re- really kind of got exposed to some different types of films and became aware of Hong Kong cinema and Wong Kar Wai, Chungking Express was a, yeah. was a big film in the mid nineties. Um, one that was championed by uh, Quentin Tarantino. Sure. And it was, a, so again, this, when this came out, it was something that I was aware of. It was something that I was kind of almost anticipating and it was playing on a screen in Portland, Maine. This is when I was still living in Maine. And I remember going to see it and going into the theater and, you know, kind of similar to what you're describing, Joe, like within four or five minutes, just kind of feeling like I've been transported to this like beautiful past vision of the past of Hong Kong, which is a place I don't really know that well, even to this day. I mean, Mm -hmm. I've seen, you know, films and and images of it, but it, so it's this foreign exotic location in a certain sense, though also very urban and, and the parts of Hong Kong that we're seeing here are very specific, right? It's a lot of domestic space. It's mostly the apartments, corridors, hallways, stairwells, a couple of restaurants, little alleyways, restaurants, noodle house. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but but not a lot of like the big skyscrapers, not a lot of, you know, and that's the era when those were starting to to pop up there. So they could have gone, you know, you could have seen that. But this is a very intimate kind of close film. It's a lot about how these spaces are decorated, how she is dressed, you know, um, Maggie Chung here um, as the fashion plate that, that she is uh, in this thing. And I just remember feeling like almost like I had entered a trance or something. And I, I distinctly remember seeing it that first time and being like not even able to fully process it because I was just thinking this is such a gorgeous strange like dream that I just experienced I gotta go back and see it again so I can understand the story (laughs) (laughs) and I went back a second time and saw it in the theater and I did focus a little bit more but I'm like oh no that's how he's telling the story this is like a weird kind of almost like cryptic there's like this sort of cyclical repetition that's going on throughout this film like they're repeating these scenarios and i I don't know two of them uh meeting in the hallway over and over and over uh the landlords interacting with them in the same framing yeah it's not until about i I looked it up nine or ten minutes in when the screen is fully sh- like like the subject of the screen is fully shown on the screen, their f- framing devices 
looking down a corridor so that the doorways right so yeah. the, the the left third and the right third of the screen are not in use just yeah. as we focus down the corridor there's always something in the foreground of almost every single shot to give depth but also the idea that we are observing through a window through a doorway through a hallway the not only like just the repeating scenes there they were there were actually like repeated scenes with different outcomes so whether they were passing themselves yeah. each other on the steps of the noodle house and, and you know I guess implying like one perspective versus another yeah. or when they have that first meaningful conversation outside of the house you know where you know she's the uh, makes the first move versus him making the first move I mean that and, and that you know to expand on what you're saying that voyeur voyeuristic yeah you know filming of the entire thing um, I mean I'll I'll come out and say it this was a perfect movie this was an it's, absolutely. It's there as, is. It's as close as you're going to get. Anthony, I can't say it's perfect <laughs> until I watch it again because I believe it's one of those movies that you have to watch a few times I to did. get every yep. single detail, every single piece of what this filmmaker is trying to do. This is this is what I've learned on yeah. the first viewing. This is a piece of art. This is art as cinema, cinema as art, and it's that kind of movie that really does speak to me. I, I watched it and I immediately put it on again. Um, and, oh wow! Good yeah, it, and I didn't have that kind of time. But no. I, but you make that. Kind I made of time. that kind of time. It's on and, HBO Max. If you got that service, yeah. why not? Um, and I looked at it, and there isn't a wasted frame. There isn't a wasted line of dialogue. There isn't a wasted shot in that yeah. entire movie. Everything in that movie says something, and I loved it when I saw it the first time. And my esteem for it grew yeah. in the second viewing. Um, I'm sure it kind of solves a couple of riddles. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't think, I don't know that it solved the riddles as much as trying to kind of build context on some of his stylistic choices. Um, you know, whether it be I like, well, what, what was he, what was he trying to say? You know, with those sort of camera angles, what, I thought that it was very disorienting in yeah. a lot of kinds. It played with yes, uh, it played with time. It played with. Um, space it uh there's one scene that i watched while i was watching the movie i replayed it when i watched it and then obviously watched it again and it was i think it was the first scene in the noodle house mm -hmm. where he is just like you know it's he's whip panning and then he's focusing yeah. on objects and then he's focusing on the speaker and then it's when is it when they make the realization when they're talking about like oh i want to get my what my husband my, would get. My right. Well, I'd like to get a purse just like oh, that maybe, for, maybe, for yes. my wife. Well, that was then, the first Noodle House scene. And it was what both of them already knew. You have the same tie my husband, husband does. Yep. Yeah. And you have the same handbag that my wife does. And they're, both of our spouses are always traveling. Right. And both of our spouses gave us these as gifts. Yeah. So my wife gave you, your husband the tie and me the tie and blah, blah, blah. And that's where they yeah. come to the realization and, that their partners are in in, in an affair. Yeah. And the, the lack of a consistent point of focus in that scene was incredibly disoriented. And it became yeah. just kind of part of that discomfort that you feel in that conversation. Yeah. But I mean, like literally would, like I said, occasionally would whip pan. Sometimes it would be a slow yeah. pan. Sometimes they'd be focusing on inanimate objects. Sometimes it was on the speaker. Sometimes it was on the listener. And yeah. with no rhyme or reason to what he was. Well, I suppose there was rhyme or reason. Yeah. But... 
and I, I, after I saw it, I was like, what did I just see? Yeah. You know, and I had I, to go back and watch it again. That, because that is a great scene right there. And I, I also like watching it again this time. I went back and watched that scene specifically again because watching it, whatever it was, you know, like for the fifth or sixth time that I was watching it, you know, the entire movie, um, I was like, wow, that is so interestingly put together. And it just, and I remember feeling that when I had seen it before. And you're right, like discerning the exact rhyme or reason is is probably impossible in a certain way. Like I think uh, Wong uh, most likely, you know, like tried a lot of different things there and then well, went- Well, that scene's with, put together in editing. Well, and, and I've heard that this was a film that like it took a long time to make. They shot a lot of footage that never made it into the final film. And in fact, some of the footage made it into another film after this called 2046, 2046. that's sort of a rough sequel to it in a certain sense. Oh, interesting. And th there's even a film before this. Um, happy that, Endings. Yeah. Well, uh, Is it Happy Endings? No. The... Um, Anyway, the, or happy together, not happy endings. No, no, not that happy one. Happy together is the one I think that was preceding this, but no, there was another one with Chung and Leung, who were as the leads that were. Anyway, the, um, but the point is, is that I think there were a lot of options on the table, and I think him putting it together the way that he ultimately did was. You know, what was the choice? Why does he do it? But it works. I mean, that's the thing. I, I, I especially love, like you, you mentioned those whip pans. And there's one where it's like it cuts to a shot. Like as they're making, I think it's right as they're making the, the sort of blunt statement to each other about like, yeah, that, what are you thinking is happening? Oh, this is what's happening. Our, you know, our spouses are cheating. And they don't quite say it, but they, you, they recognize it. You get, they actually cut to a shot that starts behind the booth and then like whips to get him into the frame. And it's like, it's just a weird, like when would you ever choose to act as you're in the midst of a scene where it's, you know, these two characters talking in a booth to cut to a shot that includes neither of them and then whip into seeing them there or at least one of them. And, it, and I kept, and it, it just plagues me, but and there's something about it, it's like it's wrong. You don't cut. <laughs> you don't cut a conversation that way. That's not how you do it. But it works. And and part of it is, I think, it feeds into that kind of. These are characters that are kind of in this. I don't know. They're in like a half with it, half out of it. I mean, think about it. I think about it this way. These characters are living this life where they are married to these people who are kind of these ghosts. They're like these spectral presences. We never see these. We see them from behind a little bit. We never see these characters. We never square see their on. faces. Um, they spend very little time with them. What is this relationship that they're even in with their spouses? Like we get no sense that there's any connection between them, and here they are connecting with other with another person, and yet feeling simultaneously that this is the wrong thing to do. I mean, there is this, like clearly, especially on the part of Sue, I think there's a a feeling of, you know, this isn't right. We shouldn't be doing well, this. Well, we're better than that. Yeah, like, we're we can't exactly. We can't stoop to that level. Exactly, sure. we can't do that. And yet they're compelled to do it. And it's like, you know, so maybe that like the camera being behind them and then pulling in is like, they don't want to do this thing. And yet here they are, they can't help themselves. They're like getting pulled into this relationship well, they, that they, they don't even think should happen. They enter into a relationship where she's going to help him. It's all a ruse, in my opinion, with his writing. 
Right. He, he's he's going to write um, uh, yeah. a serial piece about uh, martial arts. Yeah. And but because they live next to one another in this very full apartment house filled with gossips, they elect he elects to rent another apartment where they can go hotel. Be, yeah. Uh, yeah. They can go be uh, alone without eyeballs on them. We are the eyeballs that remain on them right. through the framing and other exercise there. By keeping the spouse's faces as specters, as phantoms, as you say, which is a, a very well put, means that we can focus only on them, but at the same time, not hear the other side of the story. We, yeah. we do not know what the spouses, no. how they've, they, they, they attempt at great detail through role-playing exercises that are very off-putting and very confusing. Because all of a sudden they'll be in a very emotional relationship, but they'll almost like say in the relationship, no cut. This is just a rehearsal for a conversation you're intending on having with your husband yeah. about asking him about the affair. You're just doing it with me. Mm-hmm. Um, how does your husband order his steak? Uh, I, I, my husband would never order food like that. Does your wife like spicy food? They're, they're doing this weird role playing yeah. game. But by keeping the other spouses off screen, we're, we're not understanding their point of view yeah and it allows us to train in on these two's point of view mm-hmm. who have i believe this moral authority to the cheating that's going on but clearly they're falling in love and clearly i believe there was some intimacy that we just didn't see that was off camera um but because they break all uh, he breaks it off i didn't intend on falling in love with you we were not going to do it the way that they did it but here i am doing it exactly that same way. I have fallen in love with you. Clearly she has feelings for him and they break it off and they have this unrequited love. Now this forbidden love that will never be attained. I guess the question for me was, are are our protagonists somehow morally superior to the bad guys that were cheating? Yeah. Does that make sense? What I'm saying? Yeah, I, it does. I mean, I mean, he does invite her to come with him, right? When he goes to, but Singapore. they do the quote unquote do the right thing, and yeah. they don't follow through with it. Well, because she doesn't show up in time. Understood. But to me, the question is is that same question. Our spouses are wrong. Our spouses are bad. Our spouses yeah. are making yeah, yeah, a yeah, mistake. Yeah. We're not going to make those mistakes, although they do, but they don't. So therefore. I don't know. I have my thoughts. What, what do you think? Well, no, I mean, I, I don't think that they... I, I do think we saw everything we needed to see. I do think that they... You know, my read of the film was this sort of moral high ground that, you know, the feelings were definitely there. Clearly, there was intimacy in their relationship, but it wasn't like a physical intimacy. It certainly was an emotional Im- intimacy mm-hmm. that he had to leave um, because he knew that if he stayed... You know, it'd go a yeah, step too far. Yeah. yeah, it would go too far. Um, and I mean, I, you know, we could talk about the ending and how heartbreaking a lot of that mm-hmm. really was. Um, but I mean, I kind of think that we saw what we saw. Um, yeah. And I do think, you know, in terms of... I think of, that's the filmmakers like trickery. The idea that because these are our protagonists mm-hmm. and their spouses are the antagonists, sure. we've got some kind of emotional tie to them that makes their behavior... Better than well, I, I he he has in interviews expressed that he thinks it's strange that audiences root for them as much as they do. That he feels like people should see them as more 
antagonists than their scene. In well, that's typically. interesting. Yeah. That is interesting so because I, 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 right then. Go ahead. I, th- <laughs> <laughs> um, I actually thought that the you know over and over use of the scenes where we were voyeurs, you know, yeah. whether it be you know through a window or through a you know um, behind the bars, you know, in in that corner where they kind of hung out, yeah, you know, that he was trying to give us this perspective that we were seeing it as it was unfolding. Yeah. Like I didn't, I didn't think he was trying to be, I don't but know. he, but he purposefully obscures the spouses. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I, I, I have a lot of thoughts because I, I it's do masterful. think, it's... I do think he's, I, I think he's giving us this very particular view of a situation, right? Like you say, Joe, we're, we're seeing these two characters voyeuristically, as this kind of relationship unfolds and almost comes to this point of fruition, but doesn't quite ever get to where we would fully say that they've stepped over the line and, they, and they've really done it, even though they're kind of flirting with it, like for a long time, I mean, and, and continually and repeatedly, like getting close to that edge. Um, to me, like it gets, it just makes me, as I, you know, every time I watch it, I, I think about how like so much of, what prevents them from doing it is this, you know, I, I try to think of this film if it was set in the United States. If, if, if could we make this film set in no, it would be New a York City? Comedy. Could we set this film set in Austin, Texas? Could we, you know, and I don't think we could because Americans are far too blunt and, and just like, we, we will just say that like, you know, I love you. I want you like, and, th- and I think, I don't want to. I don't know enough about Chinese culture. I don't know enough to to say this. But the behavior that we see in this film is very guarded, very proper, very holding back. Like all the emotions under the surface, the surface totally sort of serene and placid. And this is and and to me, I don't know if he's sort of making this comment on these conventions that we have about holding ourselves back and not speaking the truth to one another and and not able to just tell our neighbors yeah our our spouses are cheating on us so we're we're going to have a relationship and we're, so we're going to switch over to your uh room in the apartment that we're lent, we're, we're renting which again is like side note i find it amazing and it's totally accurate that how people live in hong kong like people live in tiny tiny spaces in hong kong i mean the the room they are as married couples, they are renting rooms. But the art direction apartments. of those tiny rooms is incredible. Yeah. No, it's beautiful. <laughs> um, but it, but nonetheless, you know what I'm saying? But like, I feel like there's some commentary. There is commentary yeah, in sure. there about this inability. Well, they to were be under constant honest. surveillance by these neighbors, and everything well, was are. the subject of gossip. And there is this like prim and proper rightness and, that and, she certainly and yet has the, to follow. The neighbors, the or the people they're renting from, are like fall down sloppy drunk sure. crazy like having their like bouts of uh you know like that that one scene where the guy is like seems like he's about to vomit and he's kind of like got like froth coming out of his mouth as they're like carting him off to his apartment is just like oh my god what's going on yeah. with these people yeah. they're bender mahjong games yeah um so this wouldn't work um in american culture and I don't know a whole lot about Chinese culture either, but the primary difference between sort of an individualistic and a collectivistic culture, yeah, we're an individualistic culture. Right. We're, we're a culture of the me, right? Yeah. So 
our feelings, you know, are we don't necessarily, you know, as a culture think about it. it's like, well, what is best for me? Right. And, you know, expressing my love for this person and following my heart. And yeah. even if you want to put it in, you know, romantic terms, that would be a very American way of doing that. Whereas the collectivistic culture, that culture of the we, right, it's less about your own personal aspirations and feelings and more about, well, what is this going to look like? Is this proper? Is it going to you know, bring shame, yeah. you know, upon not just me, but my family. Right. Um, so there really are a lot of pieces there. And I think, you know, one of the things that I do in my class is I, um, I, I like to do comparisons between foreign films and American remakes. And I know it's a different director, but, you know, David and I have talked about this before. You look at something like Infernal Affairs versus The Departed, yeah. and it's the same story, but you can definitely see the individualistic elements in The Departed and the much muted, much, you know, understated collectivistic elements in, in Infernal Affairs. I think this would be a very, very different movie. Um, and I do think it would probably have to be a rom-com, you know, in order yeah. to be palatable by right. an American audience. Right. Yeah. Two people move into the apartments yeah. next to one another on the same day. They're passing each other in yeah. the hall. Will they? Won't they? Yeah. 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 There's yeah. going to involve a scene where they bump into each other and drop stuff. You know, yeah. I mean, it, it would right. it would probably be formulaic yeah. and terrible. Yeah, yeah. And, vi and visually not nearly as... Uh, and at the end, he's probably likely to hold up a jam box. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I mean, but yeah, th this, yeah. So so it's it's an amazing, I mean, I feel like this is a one-of-a-kind film. Like even w within Chinese, I mean, this isn't what Hong Kong cinema typically is, right? I mean, like we're... we're we're seeing a very specific approach to telling this kind of story that I think is, there's a lot of honesty and authenticity, I think, in what the story is. But I think in terms of how it's being conveyed, in terms of how it's being told, I think it's very unique. I, I, I have not seen another film that yeah. comes close to this in terms of playing out a relationship or an almost relationship in the in this way and i think you know getting to to what you're we talking about with the ending there like the heartbreak of like we're not even just going to like have one missed encounter we're going to give you multiple like these opportunities that seem like oh maybe they're going to connect no it, it, it doesn't quite happen right she doesn't make it to the hotel right. room on time she, she goes to his apartment you know whatever it was two three years later and she chickens out whatever leaves before he gets there and all he sees is the trace of the the cigarette there with her lipstick on it yeah um you know and, and then him going to the and like hearing about the woman who's moved in to the apartment next door the old apartment that they had been in um with the child but not realizing it was her or maybe not allowing himself to think it was was her. it his child there you go. I mean, that I think that I thought I've thought that too. Like maybe that is their offspring, right? Because she was childless when they were together. So it seems like we're all high on this one. Do you understand its placement on the Sight and Sound Top 100 list, the fifth greatest film of all time behind Citizen Kane and Vertigo? I I mean, not knowing those other films, I I absolutely think it belongs there. I mean, you know, just from my own personal perspective, this this was a major gap. Yeah. Um, over the pandemic, um, when we were all kind of bored, and especially as pointy-headed academics, um, I took a class through, I don't remember if it was like USC or UCLA, but they were like doing like free classes mm, for, yeah. and, and it was on Hong Kong cinema. Oh, yeah. wow. Um, and that's where he came onto my radar. And I saw Happy Together and I saw Chungking Express. So they didn't do In the Mood for Love. They did. Oh. But I never got to it. He skipped um, that class. And I kind of forgot about it. And so, 
You know, I was going back and reviewing my notes for that. And, you know, when you say like this is sort of unique even for Hong Kong cinema, you're absolutely right. This is what they consider or is considered to be like second wave. Like this is Jackie Chan wave. That's yeah. that's what what Hong Kong cinema was, you right. know, in, in this time. Yeah. Um, you know, so very, very different you oh, know, yeah. than than anything that had come before it. Yeah. Um, and he did do a, a wuxia film, which is like the sort of supernatural martial arts yeah. kind of film uh ashes of time which i haven't seen but but even that i think stands apart from most of the wuxia films that they, that exist and people recognize you know again he i think from what i understand wong is much more celebrated internationally globally than he is as like in the home market, you know what I mean. It's it's not like he's Steven Spielberg there. Right. He's he's more like a um, you know a Paul Thomas Anderson. Yeah, I was going to say auteur. Yeah. 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 Um, did this film make either of you want to watch um, uh, Lost in Translation again? Yes. Oh, <laughs> yeah. And to- she cited totally it as a yeah. huge influence. Yeah. yeah. Totally felt it. Uh, totally felt it. And Vertigo too. The color palette in this film we haven't talked about. Uh, it has to be a an homage to Vertigo because it's it's kind of the same thing voyeuristic um, a relationship that is falsified if you consider their role playing that they yeah. do and then that strong color palette color means so much we could probably do 30 more minutes well, on that blue wallpaper green and red the hotel room yeah. too is that yeah um, and Barry Jenkins talks about this film influence the influence of Moonlight so yeah. I, th- I mean I think if you're a filmmaker and you see this I can I can't imagine you're not thinking like, how do you make something like that? Because it's like lightning striking. It's how do you? I read a thing that it was a 15 month shoot. Yeah, and they had an outline, but it was they largely... switched cinematographers. I mean, Christopher Doyle was the primary okay. beginning cinematographer, but they switched like partway through because it was just going on so long. Uh, yeah. But supposedly they did a lot of improvising, writing on the set, scenes on the fly between the directors and the stars. Yeah, and that's. Incredible. So uh, when I say that it all comes together in editing, I, I honestly do believe yeah. that they just took all that footage and created what they did. Yeah. We could talk about the clock and time, and you know. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Great movie. It's I'm glad. It, so what a hole to be filled. Yeah. And I, I for me, folks, you know, go back to when we were talking about it, everything, everywhere, all at once, and like the references to that in in that film. That was one of the most, uh, you know, I, I love that film for a lot of reasons, but it was definitely one of the things that just like, I, I remember when they started referencing that and I was like, oh my God, of course you guys would like find a way to insert into your wacky, you know, crazy multiverse film one of those universes where these characters are basically the characters from In the Mood for Love. <laughs> yeah, the, the Daniels were recently on Marin's podcast and I highly recommend you listen to it. Yeah, yeah. G- great stuff there. Recently. This uh, was, I was, this this was, I was aching to talk about this because when I see things, David is usually the first person I seek out <laughs> and it hurt so bad. Oh, did y'all follow BAM rules? Oh, yeah, no, we didn't talk. Yeah, we didn't talk about it. Yeah. No. Nope. Um, I and I didn't want to tip my hand at all. I didn't even, you know, I didn't even tell him yeah. I want to talk to you about this yeah. cuz I'll see David often at the farmers market. Mm. And the conversation might go something like this. Did you see Cocaine Bear? I did. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. Oh, you All haven't right. yet? See you on Monday. Okay. <laughs> no, I, I, it hurt. It hurt yeah. because this was, this was one that I wanted to talk about so badly and didn't have anybody to talk to after it. Uh, so I'm finally glad to get this stuff. Well, I'm, gl- I'm glad we get it. it uh, and I, I, and as the first of the films that we're doing to, to tr- sort of fill in the rest of that top ten list, yeah. I, I can't think of a better one for us to have picked. It was, it was a, it was a great one to start out with that way. We, and we didn't. Oh, go ahead. Please. Yeah. Oh no, we didn't even talk about the score. No, but it's gorgeous <laughs> and it's iconic. I mean, like you hear those. I mean, it's just beautiful. I mean, and and parts of it were equally as disorienting. I mean, yeah. I don't know how you guys felt, but I mean, the Nat King Cole singing in Spanish. Oh, I mean, right, yeah. It was go- over and over and gorgeous, over again. But it was it was like, all right, this doesn't quite fit the way that I feel like it should, and it's adding this layer of yeah. discomfort. The name yeah. of the song, perhaps, perhaps, perhaps. Yeah. I, so much to talk uh, yeah, about. Yeah, yeah. and right. and the the sprinkling of slow motion in there. Yeah, and, and he's just yeah. No, his I use mean, of rain and yeah. just as a character. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, I, again, I I'm now that I've had a fresh re- rewatch of this and a serious rewatch of this, I really am getting excited to watch everything everywhere all at once yes. again and and yeah. rewatch because I know they hit a lot of those notes mm-hmm. and and did it and I feel like there's even probably some sound cues in there that I'm not. But anyway, that's. Um, well, we obviously love this film. Do we love the Grackle folks? I told my cousin, it's not my cousin, it's uh, Aislinn's family cousin, uh, that I'd let her know when uh, we do it on the show. Yeah. Because that's why she brought it down. Mm-hmm. Uh, brought some beers for you to do on the show. I might not tell her that we did. I'm very underwhelmed by this Imperial Stout. Uh, there is a big flavor lapse here huh. that I'm expecting robust and round and open and wide, and it, it, it just isn't there. Well, as much as you and I are lockstep in our love for in the mood for love. Oh, tell me. I disagree with you on this. I'm I am so very impressed it. with this beer. I think that this is one of the more straightforward interpretations of the imperial stout that i've had in a while i i like that it has a little bit more of a bitterness in there than your typical imperial stout I pour myself another sip I, i'm just That's... to me this brings me back to i remember in the late 2000s when i got introduced well maybe mid 2000 but whatever like 2006 7 where I was introduced to Old Rasputin, which is yeah. North Coast, mm. their Russian Imperial mm. Stout. And at that time, I was still, I think, yeah, I was still a grad student living in Chicago. And I remember there were a few bars that would have it. And I remember part of the allure was, oh, I can get an 11% beer for you know the same price that I'm going to spend on a 6% beer. It's like I'm getting two beers in one. This is great. I, you know, So th- that was part of what drew me to it. But the flavor really wowed me then, and it's got it's just got this really kind of you know again the roast is there, the, it it's it's got that sort of base that you want the stout to have, but it also has kind of like a a richer sort of mouthfeel, and the bitterness is there to kind of I don't know I just th- this is reminding me a lot of that old Rasputin, and it's been a while since I've had one, so I'd I'd kind of like to have one of those side by side with it. But th- this to me feels like a really nice return to just 
let's not necessarily put in all those adjuncts. Yeah. Not, let's not make it like a cherry, mm-hmm. uh, you Raspberry, know, uh, black forest cake, you know, yeah. imperial stout. We're just giving you a hill country imperial stout here. And I think they do it. Hmm. A dear friend of mine has this phrase that she uses when she describes people. And uh, she calls them noners. Um, and it's a person who you meet and has makes absolutely no impression on you. Hmm. <laughs> the grackle is an honor. Oh, um, okay. But but a drinkable noner. No? Mm, well, I'm, so Well, I can uh, I'll answer that, David. <laughs> we already know that Anthony he, he would tell you. He'd be the first one to tell you that his beer tastes are more basic and this is not going to be in alignment with that. I, I so I don't normally like, and this is going to sound weird. I don't normally like stouts. Yeah. The fact that I don't dislike this, I don't like it. Oh, yeah, but I praise. don't dislike it. Yeah. Like right. it's, it feels like there's nothing here. Okay. Right. Well, Michelob Ultras uh, coming up and after <laughs> for our guest. No, just kidding. Uh, Yingling, more likely. Woo-hoo. Yeah. There we go. I'm, I'm so torn because you you want to say. You know, you want to say things for yeah. a, a nice gift, but I completely appreciate your point of view, David. You're right. There, there is no frills in this. I don't mean that in a derogatory way. Yeah. They're, they're not coming at you with anything goofy, uh, goofy that we enjoy on the show from time mm-hmm. to time. Uh, I guess I'm just thinking that there's a need of leading. And if you're gonna call it imperial, I'm gonna need a little boost of flavor that I'm not getting right now. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm. And I'm also coming off of last week where for the Bammies we drank, um, oh my gosh, please help. The Brooklyn? The Brooklyn, exactly. That was disappointing. Where that was, you know, a barrel-aged imperial stout that had diacetyl problems that just made it kind of gross to drink. And, And to me, this is a nice dialed back but effective take on the imperial style. easy so to drink though i'm going to give you that you're yeah. absolutely correct so so to me you know like I, I give it points for they're not going for something crazy they're not going for ostentatious i like that they're calling it the grackle yeah, i th- they, they they earn some respect there and i definitely do want to go back to family business and, and again the tropical ipa i feel like they oversold with the name this one i think they deliver and they've done what they said they were going to do respect let's leave it there all right there's agreements, there's disagreements. It's all fantastic. But that's not even the that's not even the best part of the podcast is no. when we agree or disagree on a film or a movie. The best thing about beer in a movie is that the conversation does not end here. You can find us on all of your favorite social media outlets. It's not my jam to read them all to you. Just search beer in a movie at Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. Look for our beautiful black and white logo. I'm going to especially direct you to our Discord because we have so much fun there. Look for the name Beer in the Movie. The conversation continues. And of course, you've heard us talk about after hours. We're going to do a whole nother 30, 45 minutes an hour. Who knows? In after hours, you go to patreon.com slash beer in the movie podcast and get that every single week. $5 a month gives you access to a, another episode every single week and we're trying to do a little better job of putting some other fun stuff up there as well and after you listen at your favorite podcast platform for me it's google podcast 
Apple for you guys, I imagine. I use a uh, no, I don't know what I use. I use Apple. Oh, Podbean. Oh, yeah, perfect. Well, next time you're at Podbean, Anthony, do us a favor and rate us, leave <laughs> us a review, make it five stars so the algorithm can do, do what, what it, it do. do. Thank you very much. <laughs> Uh, and, you know, Carlos was here last week and he said he says stuff that's not on our little notes here. And that is that if you go to beerandamoviepodcast.com, there is a lot of fun content there outside of just the latest episode. The curated list. Yes, yes, yes. He, he, always pimps me up, he always pimps me up and he always makes me feel good. Until next time. Lizards are good listeners, but people are good at hearing. Oh.